Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are great and you are greatly to be praised. And your greatness is unsearchable. Father, we praise you because you are great in might. You are great in your grace. You are great in your goodness. You are great in your holiness. And Lord, you have in your mercy revealed yourself to us by your Holy Spirit in the word concerning your Son. And so we ask now that you might open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things in your beautiful word. And we pray that what we know not, that you would teach us, and that what we have not, we pray, O Lord, please give us, and that what we are not, O Lord, please make us, all for the glory and praise of your dearly beloved Son, who lives with you and who reigns with you, together with the Holy Spirit, one God, forever blessed and forever praised. Amen. The Hatfields and the McCoys. You just mentioned those names, and for many of us, it stirs up the memory or a vision of lawless and unrelenting family feuds. This was a family feud from the 1800s. These two families had bitter, bitter relational grudges, and over the course of several decades, they fought a kind of murderous conflict that took the lives of dozens of men and women. One historian described the feud, the relational conflict between the Hatfields and the McCoys, as being, quote, extravagantly unfriendly. Now, many of us have probably heard of the Hatfields and the McCoys, but I wonder if you've heard of another extravagantly unfriendly family feud that's actually behind two of the world's most popular shoe companies. Let me tell you a story that I found in Fortune magazine a few years ago about the feud between Adidas and Puma. Quote, the rivalry between two of the world's most recognizable brands went far beyond mere corporate competition. It was a vicious family feud that not only pitted two brothers against one another, but also divided the inhabitants of their hometown into warring factions and lasted 60 years. In the 1920s, the brothers were partners in the Dassler Brothers Sports Shoe Company, operating out of their mother's laundry room in a small German town. Adi Dassler was the quiet, thoughtful craftsman who designed and made the shoes, complemented by the older brother, Rudy, who was the extroverted salesman. Although the brothers joined the Nazi party when Hitler seized power in 1933, it didn't stop them from getting legendary African-American track star Jesse Owens to wear their shoes as he competed and won four gold medals in the 1936 Olympics. Owens' victory gave the shoes international exposure and the sales of the Dassler's Brothers product exploded. But in this success created new tensions in the brothers' relationship, already strained by the fact that their wives did not get along. There were several incidents that were said to have precipitated their conflict, but the most widely accepted one took place during World War II when the Allies were bombing their village. Adi made a vile remark about the Allied forces, but Rudy was convinced the remark was directed at him and his family. And on that day, one of the most epic feuds in business history was born. The conflict escalated as the brothers split the company into two in 1948, dividing the assets and the employees between themselves. Adi named his company Adidas, a combination of his first and last names. Rudy attempted the same by first naming his company Ruda, but eventually changed it to the more athletic-sounding Puma. The two built 
competing factories on opposite sides of the river and quickly became responsible for much of the town's economy, with nearly everyone in the town working for either one company or the other. As the entire town got caught up in the Dassler family feud, the rivalry reached ridiculous proportions. There were local businesses that served only Adidas or only Puma people. Dating or marrying across company lines was strictly forbidden, and the town became known as, quote, the town of bent necks. Since people first looked at which company's shoes you were wearing before deciding whether or not to talk to you. While Rudy and the sales staff, while Rudy had a sales staff and was better at moving product, Adi had the technical know-how and the better relationships with athletes who could provide exposure, tipping the scales in favor of Adidas, while Puma was constantly playing catch-up. However, in focusing so heavily on each other, both companies were slow to react to the threat of Nike, which would come to dominate the athletic footwear industry, leaving them behind. It wasn't until 2009 when employees of both companies symbolized the end of six decades of feuding by playing a friendly soccer match. By then, the, D the Dassler brothers had both died within four years of each other. Even in death, the animosity continued as the brothers were buried at opposite ends of the same cemetery, as far away from each other as possible." End quote. Relational conflicts can leave lots of carnage in their wake, can't they? You may not have experienced a feud in your family as intense as the Hatfields or the McCoys, and perhaps you've not had a business feud like the one between Adidas and Puma, but I think every single one of us can acknowledge that we have experienced and we can relate to the pain and to the damage, to the regret caused by relational conflict. We've all witnessed fights and quarrels in the world, and we've all experienced fights and quarrels in our own families, between friends. But this morning, we're reminded that these types of bitter feuds, these types of relational conflicts, tragically also occur in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. So please open your Bibles or swipe to James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. We're going to be looking at James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Our visiting minister, Pastor James, he's been walking us through this glorious book over these last several weeks and months. And what he's been doing is showing us a series of tests in order to help his readers mature as followers of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Pastor James issues yet another test this morning, the test of relational conflict. The test of relational conflict. We have a test before us yet again this morning. How do we respond to relational conflict? In our brief passage, Pastor James serves us by providing an incredibly convicting and corrective insight into our own relational conflicts. Pastor James this morning is kind of like an expert uh, crime scene investigator who you know, uses that blue light to reveal evidence at a crime scene. That's what Pastor James does. He, he's using like a blue light to reveal the shocking evidence, the shocking source of our relational conflicts, of our fights and quarrels. And those, the, the, that evidence may not be perceptible with the naked eye. And so Pastor James is going to help us see what's right before us this morning in our conflicts. 
And so we need to pay careful and prayerful attention to the question that James asks, to the answer that James gives, and to the evidence that James provides about our own relational conflicts. So let's listen to these three verses now. This is what Holy Scripture says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, and so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Brothers and sisters, this morning, Pastor James has a few things to say to us, but we're going to just look at two. We're going to look at the cause and the cure for our relational conflicts. And that, that will provide the outline of our passage this morning. We're simply going to look in verses 1 to 3. We're going to consider the cause of our relational conflicts. Number one, consider the cause of your relational conflicts. And number two, Pastor James wants you to consider the cure for your relational conflicts. Consider the cure for your relational conflicts. And both of these are found in verses 1 to 3. And my prayer is that each one of us will be challenged and convicted and changed by the grace of God and for the glory of Christ. So, let's begin, let's begin this morning by considering the cause of our relational conflicts, verses 1 to 3. In verses 1 to 3, the main idea, the main truth, the central truth of these verses is this. Just put it very clearly. It's this. Your cravings underlie your conflicts. Your cravings underlie your conflicts. Your sinful cravings, your sinful desires, underlie your relational conflicts. That's the insight that James wants us to glean from these opening three verses. And everything else in this passage is going to expand, illustrate, and apply that main reality. The cause of our relational conflicts, the very source of our relational conflicts, are our cravings, our sinful desires. Now, let me, let me walk you through how I get that. First, Pastor James begins by asking a shocking question. Look at it again in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? That question ought to shock us because James is writing to a group of Believers, He's writing to former members of his church in Jerusalem who've been scattered in the dispersion. He, ha he has repeatedly said in this letter that these to whom he's writing are his beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet, these initial readers of this pastoral letter from James were clearly immature in their faith. He wrote this letter to help them mature, to help them grow in their discipleship as they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's very evident from verse 1 that these beloved brothers and sisters, these, these, these believers, these followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, had lives that were marked by fighting and quarreling with other Christians. Notice again, what causes quarrels, plural, and what causes fights, plural, among you? That is, among you all, among the, the believers, the, the, the churches, the congregations, the assemblies of believers that I'm writing to. What's causing the quarrels and the fights and the, 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 the relational conflicts in the churches? Now, that's a shocking question. The, 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 the second reason it's kind of shocking is 
just given the context. We always want to put our text in the context. This is where the chapter divisions sometimes get in the way. Remember, at the end of chapter 3, what is the last thing James was talking about right before he asked this shocking question? You'll remember in chapter 3, right at the very end, verses 13 to 18, James was talking about two different kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom that is uh, from below, that is false wisdom, and that false wisdom creates all kinds of problems. It's earthly, it's natural, uh, it's, it's demonic, it's unspiritual, and it produces jealousy and strife and disorder and every vile practice. And James had been contrasting that false wisdom with the wisdom that is from above. The true wisdom that is from God, who is the only wise God. The true wisdom that comes down to us from heaven, and that wisdom, that true wisdom, produces peace. It produces a harvest of righteousness, and it produces people who are peacemakers. And so right after describing the results and the fruit that comes from these two kinds of wisdom, James immediately says, why are you all fighting all the time? What causes fights and quarrels among you? And of course, the implication of this is the people that he was writing to were being affected and were following worldly, carnal wisdom. He's basically saying to these beloved Christians, y'all are following the wisdom of the world because I've, I've heard about all the bitter <clears throat> quarrels and fights among you. Now, many of us have probably experienced bitter fights and quarrels in a local church. It's sad to say, but it's probably happened to many of us. Maybe you've even endured the pain of a church split. Um, some of us naively may have this idea that, you know, um, you know, right now there's lots of churches that split and get into fights, but if we can only get back to the early church, because the early church was pure and was holy, and it's just gotten worse and worse uh, ever since uh, the time of the apostles, um, you could have that kind of naive view uh, until you read the New Testament. Because what we find in the New Testament is that there were many fights, many quarrels, many problems, um, even in the early church. In his excellent commentary on the book of Acts, um, the late John Stott wrote the following about the relational conflicts in the early church. He wrote this, quote, It was not all romance and righteousness, end quote. And that's true. The early church, it wasn't just all romance and righteousness. As long as there are sinners involved, even rescued, regenerated, repentant, forgiven, baptized sinners, as long as you have sinners in a congregation together, even forgiven sinners, you're going to have relational conflict because of the doctrine of sin. We, we still have indwelling sin that has not yet been mortified. That, that, that struggle between the spirit and the flesh, we go through it every day. We're not yet perfectly sanctified. And so when you put sinners together in a family, in a congregation together, you're going to have fights and quarrels and conflicts. But let me just say this, as, as one of the pastors who has the joy of shepherding this congregation, the Franconia Baptist Church, let me say to you all that I want you to hear what James is saying more as a preventative rather than a corrective rebuke. This is more of a preventative warning then it is a corrective rebuke. By God's grace, I can speak on behalf of the elders that we are not a congregation that is engaged and enraged and fighting and quarreling with one another right now. Um, by God's grace, uh, you all are loving and caring for one another. You are serving one another. We see this every week. Of course, we can continue to grow in our love and care for one another, but by God's grace, we see peacemakers, we see uh, folks who are following wisdom that is from above, and that is God's grace in you. 
in our church covenant, we say, we promise by God's grace, quote, to show perfect courtesy towards all, speaking the truth in love to one another and avoiding quarrels, gossip, and slander. And I can say by God's grace, that's what you all are doing. And so what, what I want you to hear in James's rebuke this morning is he, he's giving us, brothers and sisters, a preventative warning. He, he's helping us understand where fights and quarrels come from. And this can apply to our congregation. This can apply to your relationship with your employees at work. This can apply to your relationship with your spouse or with your kids or with friends or other family. Brothers and sisters, this is wisdom from above that will help you get to the root of every one of your relational conflicts. And if you're not going through a relational conflict now, you probably have one just down the road. So, Pastor James asks this shocking question. Where do fights and quarrels come from? And then he gives us a shocking answer. The second half of verse 1. Is it not this, namely, that your passions, your translation may say your sinful desires, other translations, your cravings, are at war within you. Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask but you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your lusts, on your passions. Wow. So, What's James's answer? Where do fights and quarrels come from? Where do your relational conflicts come from? What's their source? James says, your cravings. Your fights and quarrels come from your cravings, from your passions, from your sinful desires. He says this three times because he doesn't want us to misunderstand what he's saying. Verse 1, your passions are at war. Verse 2, you desire and do not have. Verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 2, you covet and cannot obtain. Three different words all getting at our sinful desires, our cravings as being the source of our conflicts. James is saying that the root cause of fights and quarrels on the individual and corporate level It's not, listen, brothers and sisters, it's not our circumstances. It's not simply other people. It's not your, it's not the things that are outside of you. It's your own worldly passions. It's your own sinful desires. It's your own covetous cravings. Is it not this that your sinful passions are at war within you? Your cravings, James is saying, underlie your conflicts. If you dig to the root of any conflict that you're going through, any sinful conflict, any sinful fight or quarrel, at the root, at the bottom, if you were to dig down in and say, what's going on here? What you would find underneath that conflict is a sinful craving. Now this insight, this is a brutal insight, but this insight can transform your life. This can transform a rotten relationship. This insight can greatly affect your marriage for good. It can impact your relationship with coworkers and that difficult family member and that friend that's estranged because of a fight. Now listen, we've got to hear what James is saying. We tend to minimize the seriousness of relational conflicts. When we have a conflict with someone, we say things like, well, you know, we just don't get along. Our personalities clash. You know what? I'm just not wired the same way as she is. Or, you know, she just has some issues that she needs to deal with. Or, you know, we just have a really difficult time of communicating. You know, uh, she's an introvert and I'm, a, uh, I'm an extrovert. Or, you know, we say things like, you know, we're just not on the same page. You know, we just, we're just not on the same page. Pastor James will have none of that. 
He does not use bland, morally neutral generalities when he's talking about relational conflict. If you pay attention to the words, James is using the language of warfare. Did you notice that? Your cravings, he says, are at war within you. That's why you're fighting. Your passions, your sinful desires are waging war. You've declared war on someone else. Your sinful desires are doing battle. In other words, your relational conflicts are not just, oh, I just don't get along with that person. No, James is saying it's actually far worse than you realize. James also wants you to see that that your relational conflicts, they're they're, they're, they're actually worse than you think. They're more serious than you think, but they're also a lot simpler than you think. When, When you get into a fight with someone, um, when you get into an argument with someone, you, you, if you're like me, you tend to make it out to be really complicated. Like, like it's like it, you really have to have a PhD uh, in biblical counseling to really understand what's going on when you get in a fight with someone. Uh, we act like our relational conflicts are mysterious and complex and indecipherable. We, we act like it's just impossible to understand why we have conflicts with other people. Um, have you ever gotten into an argument or uh, some type of, uh, it could be an argument with your spouse, an argument with a coworker, an argument with a friend, um, and then like after 15 minutes of arguing with that person, you, you start going back and forth and, and you try to remember how the fight even got started and you can't even figure it out. Have you ever had that happen before? You start to trace back, how this, how, why are we even fighting? And, and you can't even remember why it got started. And, and, and I, I will admit that sometimes conflicts can feel confusing, especially when you're angry and when you're upset. But Pastor James says to us, brothers and sisters, in reality, your relational conflicts are a lot simpler than you imagine. They're not that complicated. They're actually a lot more simple than you realize. And you might be thinking, really? You think my fights and my arguments my conflicts with others are simple and james is saying yes he does he gives us examples again look at verses two and three again you desire and you don't have so you murder now when james uses that word murder i don't think he means that people were killing one another i don't think people were leaving the 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 congregation the assembly uh, uh, the folks that James was writing to. I don't think people were, were leaving the members' meetings in body bags, okay? I don't think they were actually killing each other. Um, I think James, I'm certain, James is alluding to his older brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, to his Sermon on the Mount. Remember um, he, remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21? He likened the sin of, of anger I'm sorry, the sin of murder, and he compared it to the sin of anger. If you, if you, if you get angry with someone, uh, you are also liable to judgment. Right? He makes that, that connection. First uh, John 3 makes the same thing. Uh, James says you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So, so really, James is showing us it's really simple, actually. We fight and quarrel with other people because we just aren't getting what we want. Our conflicts reveal an unsatisfied, sinful craving. Our our conflicts are simple, right? Uh, We we want something and we don't get it, and so we get angry. We we tend to think that this is the way, you know, uh, really, really little kids act, right? You know, a one-year-old or a two-year-old might throw a tantrum because they don't get the ice cream cone. Um, And we think, oh, that's, that's, that's how immature little kids act. Well... James is saying, actually, this would apply to any sinner, any sinner. We don't get what we want, and so we act out. Um, I want you to listen briefly to these words, very insightful words from uh, a brother who just went home to be with the Lord recently, uh, David Pallison. 
He says this, quote, he's commenting on these verses. He says, quote, one of the joys of biblical ministry comes when you're able to turn on the lights in another person's dark room. I have yet to meet a couple locked in hostility and the accompanying fear and self-pity and hurt and self-righteousness who really understood and reckoned with their own motives. James 4, 1-3 teaches that, quote, cravings underlie conflicts. Why do you fight? It's not because my wife or husband or friend or co-worker or boss, etc. It's not because of them. It's because of something about you. And Pallison continues, People frequently talk about what they want, what they expect, what they wish for, what they desire, what they demand, what they need, what they long for. Little do people realize that much of the time they are actually describing sinful usurpers of God's rule over their lives. Inordinate desires, lusts of the flesh, and cravings. They're being honest about what they want, but they aren't interpreting their experience rightly. But Christians who see what rules them, cravings for affection, cravings for attention, craving for power, craving for control, cravings for comfort, craving for a hassle-free life. Christians who understand what rules them can repent and find God's grace made real to them and learn how to become peacemakers." End quote. Brothers and sisters, some of us this morning are currently engaged in war. We're currently engaged in relational war and emotional battles and maybe, maybe James is revealing some things about your own heart and you want to talk to someone about it. Well, brothers and sisters, please, if that's you, please reach out to me, reach out to one of the other elders, reach out to someone in the church. We want to be able to walk with you through any of these struggles and help you look at the scriptures and to pray with you and to serve you during this time. If you're, ra- if you're currently waging war verbally, however, with a spouse, with a friend, with a roommate, with a boss, a father, mother, sister, whatever, girlfriend, boyfriend, James wants us to be honest and to assess our situation and says, look, the problem isn't that other person. It's not in your circumstances. It's because we don't get what we want. We don't get when, we don't get what we want. We don't get it when we want it. We don't get it how we want it, and we don't get it from whom we want it. And James says it's not complex. It's not complicated. And so we shouldn't be shocked by this assessment from Pastor James. The reason we shouldn't be shocked is if you just remember, this is why you want to constantly be rereading and rereading a biblical book when you're studying it. Don't just look at the passage in front of you. Be reading the whole book because James has already told us a key to understanding this passage back in chapter 1. Do you remember back in chapter 1? James says in chapter 1, he says in verses 13 to 15, he brings up the question of temptation. And he says, he says that God tests his people, but he never ever tempts his people. And then James brings up the question, what is the root cause of temptation? Where does temptation to sin come from? Does it come from outside of us? Does it come from our circumstances? Does it come from God? The answer is no. No. Where does temptation to sin begin? Where does it start? James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But, verse 14, listen, each person is tempted 
when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, by his own sinful passions, by his own lusts. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So, brothers and sisters, your sinful desires underlie your temptations to sin, and your sinful desires, in the same way, underlie your worldly conflicts. So that's his assessment. That, that's, the, that's the bad news. That's the diagnosis. It's actually good news to know where our conflicts come from. The application from this, brothers and sisters, is that when you are about to enter into a conflict, and it's going to be a, a, an argument, a fight, a quarrel, y- you need to know from what James is saying here what's going on. There's no, you don't have to engage in that conflict. You can, as it were, uh, not engage. You can step away and take some time to calm down, to pray, to process, and not engage sinfully in that conflict. And what you can do is you can analyze your own heart and analyze what's going on right now. Why am I so mad? Why am I so upset? And you begin to understand it's because you're not getting what you want, when you want it, how you want it. And you begin to process that and you begin to see where that conflict is coming from. And that's what James wants us to do. He wants to understand that our cravings underlie our conflicts. James doesn't just tell us the problem, but in these verses, he also begins to point us to the cure for our relational conflicts. And we want to spend a few minutes on this as we close. Number two, consider the cure for your relational conflicts. Look at verse six. The cure for your relational conflicts is the God of all grace. Look at verse six. This is amazing. After unpacking all of this uh, sin, all of the, the, the results of, of sinful relational conflict. Verse 6, but he, that is God, gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Brothers and sisters, this is great news. The cure for your relational conflicts is the God of all grace. He gives more grace. He gives bigger grace. He gives greater grace. This is wonderful news. God's grace is greater than all of your sins. His grace is bigger and stronger and mightier and and, 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 and able to overcome any relational conflict than you are in. Martin Luther once said that it's, it's the most difficult thing for a person to believe that God is actually gracious towards him or her. And that is so true. But and sisters, consider this cure for your relational conflict. God gives more grace. God gives more grace. Our relational conflicts are not large enough or wide enough or long enough or deeper enough or stronger enough to overcome God's grace. His grace is able to overcome them. Where sin abounded, God's grace has super abounded. God promises to oppose the proud. But he, is, he promises, brothers and sisters, to lavish his grace on the humble. And so, brothers and sisters, let me close with three, three direct applications from these verses. And these verses come basically from verse uh, 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 6 and following, basically from verse 6 down to verse 10. We'll get into some of this next week, but let me just draw your attention to a few practical things. Number one, by his grace... By His grace, humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. If you have sinned against someone else in a relational conflict this week, the first 
the first thing you need to do before you confess and repent to that other person, you need to know that you've sinned against God. And so by His grace, number one, humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. The first step to curing our relational conflict is humility. It's humility. If the source of my relational problem is found in me, then I need to begin by confessing my own sinful desires, my own sinful lusts, my own sinful passions, and humbling myself before the Lord. Now, how do you humble yourself? Well, we do this in prayer. James says in verses 2 and 3, you do not have because you do not ask. So, so, so very, I mean, very few of us, I can't remember the last time when I was about to engage in a relational conflict that I stopped and said, hey, before we fight, let's pray together. That never happens. Nobody prays before they fight. That's the dumbest thing ever. And so, so if, 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 if you begin to see there's a relational conflict that's about to happen, well, you need to add, you begin by prayer. Say, Lord, help me not engage sinfully in this conversation or this fight or this argument. You don't have because you don't ask. If there's no peace between you and the other person, you need to ask for it. And, and you don't ask just so that you can, like the, the prodigal, so, so God will just give you uh, what you want so you just go waste it on something. Right? That, he says you don't ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. We come to the Father in humility. We ask the Lord to help cure our relational conflicts. And we come in humility because we've, we know that we've already blown it. And so we come humbly asking, Father, thy will be done, not mine. Thy will be done. And the Father, the Father, he kindly receives us in the arms of his steadfast love and he showers us with his unfailing kindness and grace as we humble ourselves before him. Look down in verse 10. I love this. Verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So brothers and sisters, the application for us is it begins with humility. By the grace of God, humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Humility is your best friend. Number two, by His grace, confess your sins to the Lord, and He will forgive you. By His grace, confess your sins to the Lord, and He will forgive you. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, But if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Some of you, some of us, all of us, if we've sinned relationally against someone, if we've, if we've caused a quarrel or a fight, what we need to do is humble ourselves first and then we need to, by His grace, confess our sins. Confess your sin to that person that you've sinned against. Go to that person. Tell them either in writing or on a phone call or Zoom or whatever you have to do, tell that person that you've sinned against and confess your sins to them. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. And then once you've confessed, you confess to the Lord and you ask Him to forgive you of your sins. And He's faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Number three, last one. By His grace, we don't just humble ourselves before Him. We don't just confess our sins to Him. But number three, by His grace, draw near to the Lord and He will draw near to you. Brothers and sisters, verse 8 says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Drawing near to the Lord means repenting of your sins. It means turning away from your sin and instead turning to the Lord and drawing near to the Lord. His kindness, His grace leads us to repentance. In verses 6 to 10, James is going to use several different words that all really capture the image of repenting. That if we have sinned, if we have sinned, we want to humble ourselves before the Lord so that He might receive us 
If we have sinned against others relationally, we want to confess our sins. But we don't just want to humble ourselves and confess our sins. We want to draw near to the Lord, and that means repenting of our sins. It means turning away from our sins. And so James wants us to draw near to the Lord. He wants us to come to Christ. So will you come to Him this morning? And if we don't, if, if we needed any other motivation to draw near to the Lord, if we needed any other motivation to draw near to the Lord other than the promise of verse 8, that if we draw near to the Lord, He will draw near to us. If we need any other motivation to go to the Lord with our relational problems, to go to the Lord with our relational conflicts, here, here, here's the reason. The wonder of wonders is that the God of grace has already proven that He is willing, that He is able to cure any of our relational problems. Because the God of all grace, brothers and sisters, has already overcome the greatest relational conflict imaginable. When He saved us, when He saved you, when He saved me, He's already solved. He's already resolved the greatest and most serious conflict we will ever face in this world. The conflict between a holy God and unholy sinners like you and me. We weren't just extravagantly unfriendly towards God. The Bible says that we were His enemies. We had enmity between God and us. We were rebels. We were opposed to His will and to His ways. We had sinned and separated ourselves from God. We, we opposed the creatures, opposed our Creator. We turned our backs on Him. And yet, because of His great love towards us, even when we were still sinners, He demonstrated His own love towards us by sending His beloved Son, the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to die on the cross as our sacrifice of atonement. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like you and me. And our gracious mediator, we have a mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He died in our place to pay the penalty of our relational conflicts. And by His grace, when we trusted in Christ, we received reconciliation from God. We received Christ with the empty hands of faith. And we received the Savior by trusting in Him, by resting upon Him, by leaning on Him for everything. And by His amazing grace, He's forgiven us and He's cleansed us and He's brought us into the family of God. We were alienated, but we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were strangers and aliens, but now we're called the children of God. We had orphaned ourselves because of our sins. We were unrighteous because of our sins. But now we are blameless in the sight of God and we are counted righteous in Christ alone. We were slaves to various passions and lusts of the flesh. But now we've been set free from the dominion and the bondage of sin and death. We hated one another, but now we've been brought into the church of the living God, and we've been made co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And what did we do to deserve all of this? Absolutely nothing. We did nothing. All we deserved was His just wrath, but all we have received is His amazing grace. Oh, brothers and sisters, if our God, the God of all grace, has cured the greatest relational conflict we will ever face for all eternity, will we not trust Him?
to supply what we need to cure our relational conflicts this morning? Brothers and sisters, the cure, the cure for our relational conflicts is the God of all grace. There is no relational conflict you will ever face in this world that the God of all grace cannot handle. He can reconcile even those who are extravagantly unfriendly towards one another because He has done that for each one of us who've turned from our sins and trusted in Christ. So brothers and sisters, draw near to God. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Come to Him today by faith alone in Christ alone. Draw near to Christ. Cast all of your anxieties upon Him because He cares for you. Ask Christ for help. Ask Him for grace. Ask Him for mercy. Will you come to Him? Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and grace to help us in our times of need. The true test of Christian maturity is whether or not we believe what God says about who He is and about who we are and about what He has done to rescue us in Christ. So will you come to Him? Jesus says to each one of us this morning, with all of our con relational conflicts, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. We love up to a limit, but Jesus loves us all the way to the end. So will you come to him? The Lord of glory came down from heaven to die for you. He will meet you more than halfway. He came into the world to save us, and He promises to save us to the uttermost. So let me ask you one last time. Will you come to Him today? If you only knew His heart towards you, you would. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, we thank You that You have brought about reconciliation, that You have brought us into the household of faith, that you've given us your spirit who lives within us. We pray that for the glory of Christ, you'd help us to be peacemakers, help us to sow peace in our marriages, to sow peace in our workplaces, among our friends and family. Help us to be peacemakers. And as we do that, help us to point others to the peace that you have provided through the gospel of your blessed Son. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.